0: You're listening to the Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7 a.m. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Perth Property Show. My name's Trent Fleskins, your host, as always. It's tax time. We're just about to move to the end of financial year and start talking to our accountant again about what our return is going to look like. Will I get a refund? Well, I'll be paying some money in a few months' time. We'll only find that out through our trusty accountant. And my trusty accountant that I get on the show at the end of every financial year is Carlo Bordy from Bordy & Associates. Carlo, welcome to the show. Yeah, morning, Trenton. Thanks for having me here. Carlo, you've come in today to explain to us or highlight to us where the ATO is putting a spotlight when it comes to rental properties, landlords. Most of us that listen to the show are landlords or would like to be landlords. And we all wanna make sure that we're squeaky clean when we're having our return inspected by the ATO auditors. So they've got three points of interest here that they're scrutinizing heavily at the moment. Let's run through those. The first one being expenses, depreciation, and all that bucket, right?
1: Yeah, the ATO advises that with regard to rental property returns, 90 percent of the returns that have been prepared have got at least one error in them and unfortunately most of these returns are actually being prepared by tax agents
0: so even though we're doing the right thing and getting our tax returns prepared by a registered accountant 90 percent of them are still deemed somewhat incorrect by the ato that's pretty interesting to see carly
1: i think that just highlights the complexity associated with this it's not black and white there's sometimes are issues which we'll discuss that make it difficult to get the right result unless you're privileged the background on how it works.
0: Okay, so expenses is the first one. That's pretty obvious that they're always interrogating that, trying to tidy things up. The second one is income, where it comes from, who it comes from, when it comes, how much of the year it comes from. All of that is now being looked into by the ATO to make sure we're not suggesting we have too much or not enough income claimed at the end of the year.
1: Most definitely. And then the third part of the equation is, the ATM now scrutinizing when you sell or rent a rental property that you've categorized and included or
0: excluded certain costs correctly. We're talking about capital gains and how you claim that capital gain at the end of your ownership when you exit the ownership of that property, the calculation to make sure that you're not underselling, I'm assuming is what they're looking to do, how much capital gain you should be paying.
1: Yeah, that's right. But also not underselling. It's also if you've got a loss that you're not over-inflating that loss incorrectly because there's also some issues there.
0: Well, let's start from the top. We mentioned expenses is our first category today. There's so many expenses we'd all like to claim for. When you think historically about things that have been taken away, it's travel have been taken away already. We talk about depreciation. It's quite topical. That is also quite a complex environment. Give us a rundown, if you can, on the few dot points I can see in front of you today that you know the A2 are looking heavily on, that everyone listening should be talking to their accountant to make sure is correct.
1: Well, it all starts when you buy the property. Initially, back in 1997, you were allowed to claim what's called special building write-off, which what it does is it allows your deduction on
0: 2.5% on the cost of the construction of the property over 40 years. So that's how you're writing the house off? Yeah, basically. And how does that differ from depreciation? Well, depreciation actually relates to
1: stuff that is a separate unit, like a hot water system. They're all separate components to the house that you may change. Reticulation boxes, motors on pumps and balls. All the things you bolt
0: into the house that are not the bricks and mortar, essentially. Correct. And that's how you would differentiate between the two ways that we essentially write the value of the house down over time.
1: Spot on. And the ATO, they've denied depreciation on these smaller items if they now defined as second-hand. Now, obviously, second-hand home is something that you buy off someone else that someone's either lived on or rented in previously. That's
0: a second-hand property. So you now can't claim this uh, depreciation. That doesn't make sense to me. Regardless of whether it's first-hand or second-hand, obviously, these items have a usable life. Surely... As long as you own that property within the deemed usable life of that asset and it hasn't been fully written down already, you should be able to claim it whether you're the first or the 10th owner. I think what's happened is over the years, a lot of things
1: like you know carpets, curtains, hot water systems, these sort of things, they've been depreciated by the original owner to a value of almost nothing. So they've gotten their depreciation on it. The next person buys and goes, oh, hang on, I've got this hot water system. It's a $2,000 system. It's still worth 500 bucks. So I'm going to depreciate it. And they would get a license value to do that schedule and they would claim it. So it's like a, it was a double dipping to it Agree. okay so the, the
0: ato is A- being really conservative here and saying well look unless you were the first person to buy that asset that's in that house that makes up part of that house, you can't depreciate it, even if it was only a month old when you purchased it off the last person.
1: Even if you lived in the house yourself and you
0: then converted to rental properties, it's correct. What we're doing right now is identifying where the ATO is tightening up and where, in this category of depreciation, where it looks like there's a lot of risk in using those automated depreciation reports you can generate yourself online.
1: As a classical example, we promote for parents to help their children by saying, Listen, buy yourself your first house, get your grants, get your entitlements. You've got to live in it for six months, and then come back home, and then rent it out. As long as they don't acquire another property, they've got a six-year exemption for capital gains. Well, what happens there is that by property being first their residential property, then converting to second-hand residential property, they can't claim the depreciation on all their plant equipment. So it's it's denied. And that's exactly one of the areas the ATO is trying to tackle so that people aren't getting this extra advantage with the second-hand item.
0: Okay, so first point here, I guess, first tip, is make sure we're not claiming depreciation on items that are second-hand, whether it is the house itself, whether it is the things in the house. If we have not purchased that or purchased the house brand new, we can't claim depreciation.
1: That's exactly right. There is a second category, which is a special building write-off, which is the bricks and the mortar, like we discussed before. That can still be claimed on a second-hand house, so that concession still does exist.
0: Okay, next category in the expense bucket. The ATO always target
1: the big-ticket items, and the next big-ticket item normally is interest. The interest expense on a property is almost the highest deduction on there, and the ATO are looking at, when you take the first loan out, whether there should be an apportionment of part-private as an example sometimes people say to the bank look you know i'm going to buy a property i'd like to borrow seven hundred thousand dollars at the end of the day when they end up buying the property and selling on it they might only need 680 of it so twenty thousand goes
0: to the individual's personal account so there's an apportionment as an example like a cash out yeah a lot of people would ask for a cash out for renovations or even as you said they might put it in their bank if they wanted to well
1: what happens is if those funds aren't directly used at the time of getting the loan for the purpose of that property. You just put it aside and six months later, you might say, okay, I'm now gonna put up a goal up there. I'm gonna use that extra 20 grand doesn't make it deductible because the funds have not been borrowed specifically at that time for the purpose of applying
0: it to the rental property. Jeez, it sounds like a lot of work for the auditor to actually go through and interrogate that.
1: It does, but sometimes these dollar values are extensive. And the reason for that is sometimes people have these split loans. Sometimes people have these equity loans where they put their wages and then they take it out. And that has the impact of significantly reducing the portion of the deductible loan compared to a private component.
0: So what you're saying is when a client comes to a mortgage broker, says, I would like a loan for 80% of the purchase of the house, but I'd also like some cash out to be able to do some extra works be careful, that cash out is probably not going to be deductible as an expense for you going forward for that rental property.
1: In 99% of the cases, that's correct. And I've recently spoken to another settlement agent who's told me a strategy which which apparently works. Uh, I haven't seen it personally, but a lot of people, what they do is when they buy a, a rental property or any property, there's normally a deposit required, and it might be twenty, thirty, or $50,000 worth of deposit. People normally take that out of their personal bank account and they apply it to the property. That then means that that portion of the loan, or I should say that portion of the purchase, is not deductible because there's no loan against that. And apparently a way to get around that is to have the settlement agent, simultaneously at settlement time, refund you that deposit, and then get it all financed from the bank. So at settlement, the bank is paying out the full amount. Mm. That then gives you the ability to claim a full deduction on that.
0: It's frustrating that we have to do these workarounds now to ensure that the HO is not going to come after us for these rats and mice parts of our investment strategy simply to make sure that it becomes deductible we need to ask the settlement agent to do xyz it's starting to get a bit frustrating and harder and harder every year to be a landlord
1: well it's not only frustrating it's also sometimes people sit back and they say this is not fair I mean this is all for the property and I should be able to claim it I'm just paying myself back what I put as a deposit for example and look it's just the way the ATO define it, and we're just stuck with that legislation, unfortunately,
0: Trent. What's next?
1: Well, if you're facing a situation where you have some reason diluted a loan then the recommendation is you should then go and refinance that and split that loan. So in other words, as an easy example, if you had a $500,000 loan which relates to a property of which $100,000 of that, for whatever reason, is deemed not be deductible, it then means that as you're paying that loan down, that percentage of the loan will never be deductible. But if you refinance that and then say, right, give me a loan for $400,000, give me a loan for $100,000, then you're in a situation where you control the deductibility of it by paying back the non-deductible component of the 100000 and managing the $400,000 to your maximum deductible ability. Okay. But it's important you get that split right correctly. If you don't, then it's going to cause problems. So that interest is important. The next category of the ATO target is repairs. They have a field on this, repairs versus improvements, actually. If you're going to define it, a repair is when you're basically trying to fix something which is part of a total unit. What is an improvement is the replacement of the whole structure in its entirety. For example, if you have a hot water system and you have to replace the hot water system, that's an entire unit. So therefore, that's subject to depreciation. You don't get it as a full out deduction. Compared to, on your hot water system, the master valve breaks on it and you've got to get that fixed. Well, that's part of the unit which is then deductible. But it gets even fuzzier, especially when you're talking about things that have become now either obsolete or no longer replaceable. For example, if you have a fence and it's asbestos or Super Six, neither of those products are available anymore. So if you then have a section of your fence that blows down, you're supposed to replace it with like for like product. Otherwise, it's defined as an improvement. But when the product is no longer available, you go for the next best thing. And the commission says, okay, if you've had five meters of your fence that's gone down and you've got to replace this fibro fence with tin, well, that section is defined as a repair. But if you go, oh, look, that looks a bit funny now because it's only got five metres of it. I want to do the whole backyard, the whole section. Which is fair. Yeah, well, it looks nicer, obviously. But the commission said, no, no, no. Now you've decided to do more than fix the broken section, you've actually
0: improved it. So that's subject to the depreciation, not a straight-out deduction. Yeah, and what that does, obviously, is mean that whilst... It's not an expense this year that you can claim outright. It apportions that over many years to come.
1: Yeah, but it, it's even harder. Like, if you were to replace the whole roof on a house, you've got a tin roof and you decide, yep, I'm gonna, uh, it, it's deteriorated and I'm replacing the whole roof. Now, normally you think, okay, that's a whole unit. So the Commissioner's guidelines on that is if the condition of the roof in its entirety is in a bad condition, then if you're replacing the roof, because the roof is part of the house, it's actually a repair it's deductible compared to, look, one side of the house faces the ocean, that's all a little bit taddy but while I'm there, I might as well change the whole roof because I'm never gonna the same color and it's gonna look a bit funny, so I'll replace the whole roof. Again, that's then defined as an improvement. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. That's why this line in the sand is not typical. It's not, not easy to get right sometimes because of the complexities that surround the legislation.
0: So I think most people will be listening to this right now going, this is a little bit insane. These rules are getting tighter and tighter every year. I've never had an audit before. Surely it's not going to happen to me. I'm small fryer. The ATO is never going to bother with me. I'm just going to put it all through as an expense that I can claim this year and I'll take my chances. What would your thoughts be on that?
1: The ATO have actually got statistical data that they do apply and they have applied in the past, but they're going to be using in this 23 tax returns to look at certain categories, and the categories will be repairs. If your repair bill is substantial, then automatically they will ask questions. They'll say, please explain. Mm. And look, a lot of the times we get reviewed on our returns and we might have a large bill there, and the main ones really hit when you have um, the inside of the house repainted, like you know, you've got a tenant in there and you've had the house for 10 years and it needs a good spruce up. So look, to repaint the inside of the house could cost you five to $10,000. And you claim that as an hour of deduction and that hits alarm bells with the tax department. It's like a you're hitting a nerve. And if it's for painting the house and it's bringing it back to the same condition that you had originally, that's deductible. Mm. It, it's, a black, it's more of a black and white one where it is a full deduction. It even applies to the point where if you then are gonna sell the house and the tenant's left, and you paint the house. That's a classical example. The commission says, okay, you bring it back to the same condition, it's still deductible as long as you do the repair in the same tax period that you had the tenant. So, if I was to throw some dates in there, if the tenant left you in May and you did the repair in June, deductible against that. If it is a tenant left in May and you did the repair. In July, and then you sold the property, different tax period,
0: that causes problems. Does it cause problems though? Because if you were to sell it straight away after that, even though it might not be deemed a deductible expense, it would still affect your cost base.
1: It does affect your cost base, you're spot on there. But the problem with that is that if you're in a situation where you've got a capital gain, then your capital gain is discounted by 50%. So what that means technically is that you've only got half the tax benefit because you've got it as a deduction, Mm. you get 100% of it. When you get it as a capital gain discount you only get 50 percent of it
0: well we can segue into that later let's move to income and the way we receive our rent and who from and when for how long
1: the classical example really hits on two main areas Uh, the first relates to renting it to either friends or relatives at below market rates, and the ATO actually in their returns asked the question: How many weeks has the property been rented for? How many weeks is the property available for rent? Now, in this current market, there are very few properties that generate more than 400 bucks a week in rent. I mean, three by twos, you know, out in the sticks are generating 500 dollars a week in rent. So, if you're putting in a return that you're saying, yep, fully rented, 52 weeks of the year, available for rent, 52 weeks of the year, I've earned 10 grand in rent. That's an alarm bell for the ATO. I mean, they're expecting twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars in rent, and then they ask the questions. Okay, who's it rented to, and so on. If it's a friend or relative, if it's not third party, or there's a good reason, then that affects the deductibility on the expenses you've incurred. That actually comes to a point where the commissioner can say, you've only charged this amount in rent, we're now gonna amend your return, so the best scenario you're gonna get is a break even on your expenses. So if you were showing 10,000 in rent and you are showing $30,000 in expenses, the commissioner would deny the
0: deduction on $20,000 worth of expenses, which exceed the rent collected. That's something that I think a lot of people still haven't got their head around yet, or still haven't been really made aware of, is that whether it's under rented or it's not available, which we we'll talk about in, in a second All of the, for the whole year, that can affect what you can claim on the expense side. It does, but then on the other side
1: of the coin, people then got to appreciate that if they do rent out these properties at below market rent for whatever reason, the expenses that are deducted can actually be accumulated and applied to reducing the capital gain when you sell the property. So not all is lost. It's not. I mean, th- there is a little bit of a light in the tunnel. And the classic example is, look, I bought this property. I'm going to rent it to my son. He looks after it, and I just want to live in it. So you're virtually getting no rent. Well, that all entitles you to claim, the repairs on it, the insurance on the property, council rates, the water rates, insurance, and the interest as a capital cost when you sell the property.
0: But then you might have that 50% discount impact as you spoke of just before.
1: That's right, I mean, it's always better, but it's a little bit of a blessing in that if you can't claim it as a deduction, then you gotta look at it, can I claim it as a capital cost? That's what it boils down to
0: in most cases is that what the alternative will be is that it's not an deduction this year but when you sell it will be a capital cost
1: yeah the important thing is that a lot of people aren't aware of that and they don't keep their receipts they just abandon them and think okay it's a lost cause well it's not comp- a complete lost
0: cause it will affect your capital gains calculation at the end of the day To improve your position. Let's talk about holiday homes. Oh, look, this is a great focus. There's quite a few more holiday homes now than there were four years ago, aren't there?
1: Substantially. Down south, the amount of people that have got short-term stay, and look, I'm sure it's everywhere, um, just that I, I frequent down to Dunsborough on a regular basis, and there are so many holiday homes there, because of this current economic climate we've got, COVID has forced people to stay closer. So where they're attacking that is on a couple of different sides, and they're very, very brutal on this. An example that the commission has provided is that there's a couple who had a holiday home which are making available for rent sort of. Uh, and what I mean by sort of is that during the peak periods they were using the property because that, that was a great time. They took the kids there, they went there during the Christmas holidays, during the kids' holidays during the year. And the commission's approach was, well, You haven't really maximised on this rent, so therefore the outcome is you've only rented out for, let's say, 15 days of the year, we'll only allow you 15 days of deductions. And what that means is 15 divided by 365, that was your total deduction you could claim on the property. Everything else is denied. Jesus. Cool. And that's how careful they're looking at this. And all based on this little definition at the front, which says, how many days is it rented? How many days is available for rent? You go, oh yeah, it's only rented for two weeks, but it's available for 52 and I've only collected 5,000 in rent, alarm bells.
0: Let's think about an Airbnb where they will just use it for two weeks of the year and they've ended up being able to rent it out on Airbnb for 40 weeks of the year and the other 10 weeks were just empty because no one wanted to be there in those 10 weeks. How does it look like there?
1: At the end of the day, if you can demonstrate to the commissioner that you've made every effort and have used multiple platforms to rent your property, whether it be by listing with real estate agents by multiple advertising platforms – if you can show that you're genuinely trying to rent it and you just haven't used it yourself then not a problem that's fine
0: well in that situation i think most people would be saying that's fair enough as a holiday home and we're using it it's clearly not a rental property when we're not we've done our best and we'll claim when we can
1: look and the other side of the coin i've also got some other clients who legitimately do have holiday homes which occasionally they will use, like they might go down for 10 days of the year and do a bit of maintenance, do a bit of sprucing up. And all that happens there is those 10 days are simply deducted as a percentage of the expenses that aren't deductible on certain costs, like you know, like insurance and interest rates and stuff like that. But obviously, if they're using an agent, that's 100% deductible because it's while it's been rented. So it's a little pro rata on some of the expenses, but majority of the expenses will be quarantined and, and, and claimed through the tax return.
0: Let's segue now into that final bucket, which is capital gains. Now, a lot of people get confused about this. We call it capital gains tax. Again, we know that there is no capital gains tax. There is no line item in the tax return for it. We're talking about the tax we have to pay on the capital gain we make, which sits on top of our incomes every year. Now, that is something that most people get confused about. When we think about, well, I bought the house for four hundred grand five years ago. I'm selling it for five hundred grand. There's a hundred thousand dollar capital gain, and if I get a fifty percent discount, my capital gain is fifty thousand dollars. Now, a lot of people make it that far, then they then have to recognize that clearly that $50,000 sits on top of my income. If my income was 100 grand, then now my income's $150,000 and you'll pay that tax rate on the $50,000 capital gain we made. However, what you're gonna share with us today is a few more details about what might augment that 100 grand in the first place.
1: What you have described is accurate. The reason I said things as a capital gains tax is simply a box in a tax return that you fill in a figure. The important thing is, Is the figure you're filling in correct? And it all starts with the initial acquisition of the property. So when you buy the property, whatever you may pay for it is your original cost base but in addition to that there are certain additional costs like stamp duty legal fees attached with it which increase the cost base automatically if you rent the property out from day one on the settlement statement there'll be council rates and water rates etc they are deductible so they're not far to the cost base but also there was a carve out that we're talking about initially about the depreciation and special building write-off they have the impact of reducing your property cost and then you've got to adjust for that when you sell it so i'm going to give an example where Multiple times, I'm seeing clients that have bought properties in 2007, 2008, which was the peak here in WA. They're buying a property for 400,000, and then they turn around and sell it for 390. And their first comment is, "I made a loss on this property." But in essence, when we add back the depreciation, the special building right that's been claimed throughout the years that they've had it from 2007 now to 2000 or to 2022, 2023. Um, they might have claimed sixty or seventy thousand dollars worth of depreciation and special building write-off. So, this property for four hundred now has a cost base of three hundred and thirty thousand because we've claimed seventy along the way. You sold it for three ninety. You just made a profit but my loan is still higher than that. So you've got a loan, which you can't extinguish because your proceeds aren't enough because you've got to pay tax on it. Not a good position,
0: no, not a good position at all. That's right, and so I think it's important to make everyone aware today that there are many factors that will augment the cost base that you started with, which we counterbalance against the sales price. So as you said, things like special building write-off, depreciation, stamp duty, bank costs when you purchase a property and all those improvements we're making over the years that go into that special building write-off space, all those things affect what that $400,000 started as and make it go up or down over the years and have nothing to do with whether on the frontline basis of what you bought it for and what you sold it for, whether you think you've actually made or lost money in the first place. The ATO doesn't care about just purchase price versus sales price. There's so many more things that come in. So don't be surprised if you're coming out of a property that you've just sold for what you paid for it seven years ago if you actually end up with a bill at the end of the day.
1: Oh, Unfortunately, that's correct, Trent. On the flip side, when people make a loss, the ATO are also looking at are the losses that you're disclosing correct? When you make a loss, for example, if you've had a property, you've rented it out for a number of years, then you take it off the market and it takes you a substantial amount of time to sell it. And during that time when it's not being rented or being available for rent, you incur in council rates and water rates and interest and all these sort of costs, those costs cannot be used to increase your loss you actually lose those deductions. They go nowhere. They are sunk. So that sounds very unfair. Absolutely, but they're gone. So you can't increase a loss by these sort of categories of expenses. So um, it's it's crucial to understand that. So a lot of people think, oh, look, I've got some spare money in my personal account, but the loss is going to be deductible anyway, and I'm going to sell another property in two years' time, and I'll just recoup that loss. Well, yeah, to part of that degree, it's correct, but you are not going to be maximising on it because the interest in those council rates will not be deductible. Mm. So you can't control council rates or water rates, but you can't control the interest component.
0: Carlo, sounds like we all need a very squeaky clean, informed accountant to help us through this myriad of complexities these days when we are landlords and developers. Thank you very much for all the assistance you provide me every day, and thanks for coming in and helping the thousands of people that listen to this podcast every week. Thank you.